welcome to Hell is for Hyphen. It's for June 2013. I am writer, hyphen, critic, hyphen, newlywed Lee Zachariah, and with me as always is. Woohoo! Congratulations! Thank you. I am uh, writer, hyphen, director, hyphen, flying fortress of solitude, Paul Anthony Nelson, and with us today is our very special guest. Angela Meyer, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's you. <laughs> um, I'm a writer, hyphen literary journalist, hyphen presenter, hyphen doctoral student, almost finished, hyphen absurdist. Brilliant. <laughs> Nailed the hyphens. An actual hyphen it. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally a hyphen it. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. You're, uh, you're preparing for a big move to uh, Scotland at the moment. I am. And I'm sure that has left you lots of time to watch uh, new release films. <laughs> um, yeah, no. <laughs> Um, but you know, I try, I try. You try. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll very quickly chance upon one you've seen, but you haven't seen The Man of Steel yet. No, but I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. Well, um. <laughs> or just Henry Cavill. You can just talk about him. Oh, good. Yeah. Henry Cavill. He is, uh, he is certainly a handsome man, except that it, oddly enough in that one shot where he's got the beard and he's lifting up the oil tank from the trailer, for some reason in that one shot, he's played by Liev Schreiber. I don't know. <laughs> Am I the only one who sees that? <laughs> All right, Paul, you're, uh, you're, putting, of, you're putting me on the spot. I'm putting you All on the right. spot. Yeah, because yeah. I kind of wanted to hear what you thought of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm still working through it. I, I found it engaging and frustrating in equal measure. I think that the trailer made it look like they finally approached the storytelling route with Superman in the right way, um, focusing on his relationship with his parents in Kansas and his Kryptonian heritage and how the, his Earth and Kryptonian heritage kind of collide and, and all of that is is a really interesting tack, but I feel like for everything it does right, it kind of screws something up. Like, it sets everything up quite nicely in terms of character, in terms of the world, in terms of place. It, it's, it presents a Krypton we've never seen the likes of before, but you seem to kind of race through all this setup. Particularly the stuff in Smallville, you've got this look that's kind of, you know, Instagram pastoral, and you're kind of exp- you're sort of thinking that they're... They're going to take some time with this, but it's still just on bang, 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 racing from scene to scene. You're like, whoa, whoa, let's just drink this in for a while. And then once it all starts kicking in, it starts being a lot of fun. Then, coming into the last hour, the Kryptonians come back to, you know, collect what's theirs and affect their nefarious plan, led by General Zod, played by Michael Shannon. And the film kind of loses its brain a bit. All of a sudden, things just flat out don't character motivations and 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 uh actual scenes just flat out don't make sense um the action is cluttered incoherent and kind of endless and by the end you're just you kind of not that satisfied and and it's a shame because i think all of the bits are there it's really well cast i think the cast are all really terrific cavill's a great fit for superman the first man that well has worn the suit that looks like he could tear apart a a tank. Uh, Adams makes a great Lois Lane. Shannon is, is you know, very shouty and great as Zod. I particularly was fond of the Kents, um, Costner, um, Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. But overall, I just, I just kind of felt like, it, yeah, it just frustrated me, man. I, and in the end, I've kind of come out with this, mm, it's kind of sort of it's average. Well, personally, I give it an A plus for ambition. Ambition is what this film has going for it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love everything it's going for. I, I don't know if um, I'm sure I've said this on the show before, but I've certainly said it to you a few times. My problem with Superman Returns is that Brian Singer aimed for the ceiling. 
Mm-hmm. He said his his sights so low he was going to just pay tribute to the Donner film and he was yeah. confined himself to that. And he not even, not even his ceiling, but Richard Donner's ceiling. Richard Donner's ceiling, yeah. yeah. And he and he was so slavish to that that he made a pretty good film, and it did everything he needed it to, and it didn't blow anyone's socks off. So I, I and I've always felt that Zack Snyder always shoots for the stars. He's always his ambition is crazy, like love or hate Sucker Punch. Uh, and I have to remind myself that I didn't like the film at all because I keep defending it, but mm. because it was an original film that had a huge amount of ambition and it was a filmmaker with something to say, even if what he had to say was, was kind of muddled and terrible. Mm. But I, I love that he is someone with that kind of vision and I thought he was the perfect fit to take over from Singer. So I love that. I love Nolan's real world thing. I, I love the idea of... It's certainly not my favourite type of comic book superhero star, but I like his idea of what would happen if they came to our world in a, in a sort of more recognisable reality than we're used to in these films. Yeah. Problem is that these don't mesh at all. These uh, these two styles do not mesh at all. And the whole thing is so muddled. Uh, Snyder has a tin ear, the dialogue just, you know, most oh. of its exposition and everything else just falls completely flat. Yeah, the dialogue oh. is not great. Like, sometimes I felt a little bit embarrassed for the actors. And, and you're right about the, the narrative incoherence. The last hour, I've, I've got no idea what happened in the third act of yeah. this film. I just could not follow it. And I have no problem knowing what happened in, in Primer. I can follow <laughs> Primer, all right. This film confused the hell out of me. My biggest problem is that it was thematically muddled throughout. Mm. They don't properly set up the fact that Superman doesn't kill uh, yes. And they, they don't really like establish that that moral center. Mm. Um, they, you know, they're, they're playing with the idea that he's an immigrant, and immigrants are good so long as they have to prove themselves continuously. But the whole thing's obviously a nine eleven allegory in the end, which is visually amazing. Like the, you didn't you didn't think it was more of a Christ allegory for a while there. The, f- the oh, fact that he- Superman's traditionally been like a Christ kind of. He's been that yeah. as well, but he's also like created by immigrants, and so they were. So yes, yeah, yes. he's had. I mean, he's sort of had both. But there's a but- couple of moments. There's one moment where he he uh, leaves a ship, arms outstretched, literally in the yeah. Christ pose. Uh. There's another time where they reveal very pointedly that he's 33 years old. Oh right, yes. Um, you know, very. Yeah. They do put a fairly heavy point on. I think a lot of this film is actually. And Snyder's never been a soft touch. I think a lot of this film is really heavy-handed. I think it's sincere. Mm. It's, it's funny because all of Snyder's films, I think most of his films are heavy-handed and sincere and this one's no different. Yeah, it is a bit heavy-handed and I think that's where the themes all come into collision is that like you've got Zod as a terrorist who wants to turn Earth into his own home. You know, that's, that's not even mildly de- you know, decorated, in, which, which is fine. I don't mind heavy-handed metaphor, mm. but it just contradicts this whole Superman thing. Mm. There, there are some things that I liked. There's like a, in that massive fight scene at the end, there's a 20-second sequence where they're <laughs> flying and punching each other, yeah. uh, which is brilliantly executed. So uh, much tw- of it was that blurry CGI. And I know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Because you're constantly asking yourself, well, Kryptonians would level a city if they were having a fight. But then you go back to the comics, and, and again, it's and this isn't in a fanboy way. This is, you know, this is what Superman's core character values are. Mm. Superman will always, if he thinks that there's going to be a lot of collateral damage, he'll remove him and the combatant from the situation as well as yeah. possible. Yeah. You know, whether it's Doomsday or whatever, he'll take them to a place where there's no people. Yeah. So they can punch on like crazy and not kill anybody. This, he just doesn't give a shit. He's yeah. just ramming people through buildings. And and if you don't mind a, a mild spoiler, Ange, yeah, okay. uh, the one thing that I love the most about this film 
is Lois Lane. Because you think about, you know, they set her up as um, the greatest investigative reporter. You know, she's always this amazing reporter in the comics, or not that I've read them, but she works next to this guy and has no idea who his identity is. She figures it out in five seconds flat. You know, she's ten steps ahead of Clark. And she just knows, and she figures out. That's brilliant. It sounds that's, refreshing. It's yeah. really refreshing that she's... Did you get that impression, did you? Yeah. Okay. That, I, yeah. Is that not what you got from it? Sort of. I don't know. I was unsure. I didn't think it was that clear, but... Yeah, okay. But it can certainly be read that way, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but look, overall, I'm going to... It just doesn't work. I just think it's it, it's a bit of a failure, which really surprises me because I thought it was going to be fantastic. And But like I said, I that's know. what's frustrating because all the bits are there. Yeah. They do... They just don't co- cohere. C- correct. Yeah. It's it's they've uh, They've cast it right. They've got the right sort of production value. They've got the right approach in terms of... I think it's a. I feel like it's a great story, not particularly well told. Mm. That's kind of the feeling I came out with it. it mm. Like I think the story's all there and it all makes sense, and there's some beautiful, wonderful moments. Um, but yeah, but just falls apart in the yeah. telling. But uh, well, what are we going? What pronunciation are we going to go with? World War Z or World War Z? I'll probably accidentally say Z because that's just how it says in my mind, even though. I am annoyed at myself because I'm always, you know, yeah. don't say things in the American way. But, Yankee, um, go home. But it's an American <laughs> film, so I kind of am like, well, it's probably true to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we'll do two what edits. We'll do two edits of the show: one for the American audiences, <laughs> okay. one for English and Australian. <laughs> or else they'll be like, "World War what? <laughs> <laughs> What's a Z? That yeah. guy from Pulp Fiction? Z's dead, baby. There we go. Z's dead. But what? What do you think of this? Okay, so I went to see it. By myself, and I realised I am quite a wuss. I sat in the middle of the cinema, and I was freaked out for like the first hour or so. I thought it had like such a great pace. You know, I was really going with it, going, "Oh my god, what's going to happen next?" You know, how's he going to get out of this? Like, there's a gazillion zombies um, coming at Brad Pitt and his family, and whoever Brad Pitt is around throughout the film. <laughs> so it's um, the Z for zillion. Zillion zombies, yeah. Um, but then. There was the bit with Israel building a wall <laughs> and then I won't ruin the ending, but there's like a line right at the end where I went, ah, oh, is that what the film was all about? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, I, I'm not sure still whether it, um, whether it doesn't have a message at all, which I am kind of would be annoyed about anyway, because zombie movies traditionally kind of can be quite subversive and, mm. and say a lot of interesting things. Um, but then... It's either that or it's it's a kind of a right wing, pro borders, pro military kind of yeah, message. Yeah. Which then I was like feeling kind of cranky because I was enjoying it, and then afterwards I was cranky about it. So sure? yeah, what about you guys? I have, have you read the book? No, I haven't. And yeah, I, I'm wondering, you know, if there's more or less in the it's book. It's one I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to get away from that annoying film critic thing of always comparing adaptations to their book. But I I think this is one time where I, I found I think that's a really interesting conversation to have because the book's structure is so far removed from anything cinematic that uh, you're left with a film that either does not work structurally because it's too close to the book or it's nothing like the original story right. uh, and therefore pointless to you know to adapt what is a really original idea um, but to my surprise it actually walks the line uh, really really well uh, it finds a happy medium between that sort of 
oral history around the world and the blockbuster with a hero. Yeah. It was much more a disaster film than a horror film. Like, yeah. Which I liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the very post-apocalyptic yeah. uh, feel, which is certainly a trend these days. But the, um, I was actually surprised at how much this film worked. Look, I, I do, I do think that some of the zombie acting verges on on the silly. Yeah. And uh, because but I, it's quite a serious film, it's not like a silly zombie film. It's like yeah. yeah it's, it's... And by God, those zombie extras are going for it. Yeah. <laughs> the human ones, they're really they're putting it all in, uh, and and good on them for it. But it's uh, but you do get the sense. Is that... there as much screaming in this as there is in Man of Steel? It's, no, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's oh wow. With the teeth, <laughs> yeah. I hope that came out. But no, you do get the sense that it's happening um, globally. But I was trying to figure out what the like, like you, I was trying to figure out what the metaphor was, and I thought it was a metaphor for immigration at one point, and then on the plane as they're trying to push the infected people back into economy from yeah. first class, it felt like a fear of the lower classes story, even though the layout of the plane dictates that they yeah. have to fight them from from the first class. But um. There's there's some unfortunate imagery towards the end. I think a film mm. that is aware of of its Holocaust imagery and it, the film actually references the Holocaust at one point. I wasn't too thrilled with the idea of a mountains of uh, emaciated zombie bodies being moved with an Earth mover. That yeah. that bothered me a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that aside, I'm I, I actually thought the you know d- down to the third act how muted that third act is, but it's so effective. It's so small, personal, and and. To my huge surprise, I actually thought the film worked more than it didn't. Yeah, well, certainly, like, the the structure and the pace of it I thought was really good and I was so entertained, like, the whole time I was watching it. Mm. Um, but the, one other thing I thought of afterwards that annoyed me was that it kind of gets away with, um, like, he starts out trying to find the origin of why, you know, the virus or whatever mm. they call it. Um, and then because it shifts to him... Um, finding out how possibly they can stop it, then he stops, you know, looking into the origins of it and mm. that's left. Yeah. And I don't know, I kind of thought they also missed a chance to, to have that kind of um, that kind of like science fiction message of the dangers of progress or whatever. Maybe that's yeah, overdone, yeah. but I, I, I think without that, I don't know, there's no, yeah, I don't know what the message is or whether there mm. is. And, and if there isn't, fair enough, but also... I don't know. I, I think I needed that. I needed just something. Yeah. Felt a bit empty too. It felt. I felt a bit empty at the end. Yeah. Mm. Instead of like excited and you know. Like yeah. Yeah, like I was throughout. Awesome, great time. And yeah. but at the end, I felt empty. Like there had been something missing. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because we're, we've been we've so far talked about two films in which the world is basically coming to an end mm. from outside forces, and we felt that the themes are quite muddled. Yeah. The films don't really quite know what they are. The the third in our post-apocalyptic uh, films of say, After I wait, Earth. I was waiting for the segue. I was waiting for the segue. <laughs> He's obsessed with my segues. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, but no, no, no. But this is actually... I didn't think of this until we started talking about mm. it because After Earth is another post-apocalyptic film. It's mm. it's Oblivion again or a ob- I think this is with, the... With, with Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Huh? I've got one. I've got one for White House Town as well, but I'll save that. What? Oblivion. Ian. I gonna say this is the year for this kind of movies. Yeah, like there yeah. are so many post-apocalyptic. Do you think Hollywood's trying to tell us something? I, think, I don't know. I don't know. I think I might need a few more. I will say this is a lot better than it looks. That's another thing. Okay. Yeah, because I saw the preview and I was like, I, 
I just don't think I'll see that. <laughs> it was a piss yeah. week trailer. Yeah. It's not look. It's not a great film. Yeah. Uh, maybe I, I think it might be benefiting from my uh, uh, basement level expectations, <laughs> uh, my subterranean now, expectations. Where's because I, I remember you and I were both in agreement that M Night Shyamalan is a better director than he is a writer. C- certainly, pre happening, I was on board that. Yeah, trailer. how's that going? He's uh, this is his. Best work, directing work since The Village, yeah. which is uh, incredibly faint praise, but he's still... I, I'm, I'm seeing a bit of the old skill in there. I'm, I'm reminded okay. why I liked him back in the day. There's a lot of... Look, look. Jaden Smith is really good in it. Uh, Will Smith is good. I, I like that they've got this whole... They've actually come up with an accent that's been developed as we've left Earth. Okay. I was wondering about that when I saw the preview. I'm yeah. like, what is the accent? Yeah, yeah it's this weird kind of hybrid of, I don't know... Deep South and clipped English or something. It's oh. it's weird, but the the father son conflict is good. The action is is really good and, and quite uh, tense. Shyamalan does once again fall into the trap of having a ghost from the past impart a piece of information that this ghost could not possibly know. Uh, does the ghost know it's a ghost? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, on the whole, we're reminded what 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 a talent he was. You know, he's able to create suspense. <laughs> What? It's just what a talent he was. He was. <laughs> it's sad. It, it is, is a little it sad. sad. It's a sad career. What can you say? But this is where the film, I think, of, of the three we've talked about so far, does not have a muddled theme. I think it's it, it, it's quite clear. And I'm I don't I'm not the biggest Scientology expert in the world. Oh no. Mm. Oh no. Pretty sure there's a fair bit of, of Scientology <laughs> in there. Oh no. It's not just with the, with all the space stuff. And the fact that the third act basically revolves around doing something at the edge of a volcano, which from what I understand is a big Scientology thing, like the, the volcanoes. I, again, oh, okay. I need to read up on it more. But, cover and dine, but, dine but uh, they value the almost autistic suppression of emotions such as fear in order to create superior human beings. Right. And I think that's a very scientological idea I, I, I again don't want to get sued but <laughs> it does seem like that's what they're pushing okay. for look that aside it's it's actually a decent film maybe uh, I'll watch it on the plane that seems yeah, like a good plane seem, movie it does yeah, yeah. it does yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you guys haven't seen uh, Monsters University, have you? No, I, I really wanted to see that, but I didn't get to. I, the trailer just looks like a DreamWorks film. Like, it looks really bad, but I'm sure it's not. Well, I'm, I'm a bad judge because I'm, st- I'm totally on Team Pixar still. Like, I, yep. I, the same way I'm still totally watching new episodes of The Simpsons. You know, it yeah. takes a lot to, to lose me. You're loyal. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm watching loyal. new episodes of The Simpsons, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, look, there's this idea that all prequels are basically created prequel, prequel? No. <laughs> well they're, they're, they're poor they're, they're, they're basically the idea that we're just seeing how things come to this inevitable conclusion that we saw in the last two and it all feels inevitable and pointless I think Monsters University is, is the model of how to do a prequel well mm-hmm. the characters change there's uh, we're, we're not hamstrung by the by the fact that they discover that in the original film, they discovered that laughter is more powerful than fear, and we're not hamstrung by that. We're not like somebody discovers it and then forgets it. You know, it's a totally different story. Mm. The journeys are unpredictable. The jokes are spot on. Like, it's really, really funny. And uh, I, I think the only thing it lacks in terms of, you know, modern Pixar to, to early Pixar 
is the way the early films captured the zeitgeist in a way, because we hadn't seen anything like those early Pixar films. Mm. Now we're kind of used to it, so we, we, we feel, you know, we're demanding more from them. But I think this is a very, very solid, very funny film that I would certainly watch many times. And I just love, I love Sully and Mike. I love Billy Crystal and John Goodman. Mm-hmm. They're so good. <laughs> but so. no boo, which would have broken your heart. No boo. I do, I do miss boo. I love boo. Uh, so, yeah... Um, don't don't look don't look at me with those Segway judging <laughs> eyes. I'm just gonna say mud. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. I'm not you gonna know something them. monsters enjoy mud. mud. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yes. No. Fair enough. <laughs> mud. Right up front. I've, I've, I've had a little bit of a think about this, and I'm absolutely certain that mud contains the best performance of. Matthew McConaughey's career. Second. No, 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 not his second best. I'm saying I second that motion. I should clarify. Glad. Just wanted to... I second that motion. No, I'm trying to do one of his, like, lawyer characters. (laughs) In a Matthew McConaughey accent as well. A lot of lawbreakers up in here. Uh, I, like, between this and Killer Joe, I think, are his very, Mm. very best moments on screen. I really dug a lot of this film. Um, It's atmospheric. It creates a beautiful very ethnographic type you know deep south kind of study you've got um two kids that um you know that live on 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 the edge of the river and uh the main character ellis his father's um uh fishing business is being closed down because they're not not you know the council have sort of said you're not allowed to build these houses here anymore so there's this sort of you get this sense that things are changing the past is being left behind and the future is is, is taking over. And, but there's something with this film that I noticed upon reflection, and I think it takes a lot of its storytelling shape from something like E.T. I felt that this oh, wow. and E.T. the extraterrestrial had a lot in common because there are a couple of shots in this movie that are really Spielbergian, and it suddenly occurred to me that the whole structure is really Spielbergian from the, bo- like, the boy's parents are fighting and mm-hmm. they're on the verge of divorce. And the whole film is the kid grappling with the potential of his parents divorcing. And meets a new exotic... And meets a stranger right. who is trying, who is adrift from his home and trying to contact... He even phones home. Yes, that is... <laughs> yep. Like, not with a phone and not... But, and, they, and the kids run around collecting junk for him in order to help him get home. It's ridiculous how much in common this film has. Because I was going to... Uh, I, I know this is far from an original thought... But everyone's been saying it's, it's like Mark Twain, and oh, it absolutely. is, and it is, and that was the, the the comparison that jumped to mind when I was watching it. It's you know, it's uh, it's totally Twain, but that is a good point. It's uh, it's Spielberg doing Twain essentially. Yeah, um, and I and like Spielberg, I think he kind of buggers up the last oh, few. No, minute. yeah, no. I, I, I like I, I really really like this film until the last. 15, 20 minutes. And I like, I won't say it was wrecked by the last 15, 20 minutes because I, I liked it on a superficial level, but I felt like it didn't live up to the lyricism of the rest of the film. I felt it got a bit overblown and a bit, let's have a shootout. And the mm. last two, like the very last scene is completely unnecessary and almost feels like a focus group got a hold of it. I know. Yeah, no, I get why you're saying that. To me, that whole thing, like everything feels thematically on point. I, I found the ending completely unexpected. That, 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 those final mm. scenes of the film. 
did not really expect them to go there. But like, like I said, I didn't think it was bad. Like I didn't think those scenes didn't work. But I, I can I just forgive felt they didn't almost with the rest anything of it. narratively if if the themes can if 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 the theme of the the story carries mm. through and his journey about you know this boy who is I mean it's about a young boy's relationship with the concept of love mm. and, and he doesn't quite understand well. it and, what, and and manhood as well I think and there's, manhood, a, sure. there's a there's a strong streak through the film about what it means to be a man mm. and there's all these different role models and which one will he choose mm. um, from you know his dad to Mud to Michael Shannon's character yep. you know, there are all these different kind of modes of and of all manhood. of manhood and they're all struggling with their own perception of manhood mm. and it's like are they any better at it than than Alice is. But that's the thing, like, his idea of of finding a father figure and as well as what does, how, how do I grapple with uh, everything I thought love meant, you know, being torn asunder in front of me, that's all, that, that final scene is totally on point. And I think... It's a better film for that scene. I think it resolves... The final, final scene. The final, final scene. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Because it should have ended... For me, it should have ended with the boy walking away. Like that... Like seeing yeah. the girl and then walking into his new home. Like that should have been where it finished. Walking into a spaceship? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Because, you know, we've, we've already put mud in the spaceship and he's gone home and... And, yeah. I don't know. I just It just felt too much. You know what? But other than that, I really dug it. That's the, the the scene that you're just talking about that it should have ended at. That's the one I was thinking was the final scene. Forgot about the one afterwards. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't bother me. I like that one. <laughs> Checkmate, Nelson. <laughs> All right, Angela, please tell us whom have you picked for your Hellas for Hyphenates Filmmaker of the Month. I have chosen Billy Wilder, very famous filmmaker. Excellent. Yes. Never heard Great. of him. <laughs> Um, well, you know, he is an incredible and uh, American filmmaker. Who, well, I should say European-American filmmaker. Mm, mm. His films are all different genres, you know. They can be quite different from one another. But watching, you know, many in quick succession, I also realised some of the things that run through, like, every film is just... It's just amazing, you know, that there are these similarities in such different films. Mm. But, yeah, I, I guess I'll talk about why I chose him. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is... I, I guess I came across him through loving Marilyn Monroe, like, mm-hmm. who I just started, you know, falling in love with as a teenager. And so I watched um, The Seven Year Itch and Some Like It Hot as a teenager. And um, then, you know, sort of later got to some of his other films and was just like, wow. It was his worldview, I think, that that really captured me and made him one of my favourite filmmakers. And the fact that he does have uh, humorous films that are quite dark and dark films that have humour and, uh, yeah. Is is it the cynicism that appeals to you Um, at times? Maybe, yeah, Um, because I've always thought of myself as kind of an optimistic pessimist. Like Most people that meet me think I'm pretty happy and optimistic (laughs) chirpy kind of person but I really feel like no I'm pretty much an existentialist and you know like I think you know there's a lot of horrible things and people can be very horrible and you know and his films really have all that and not many of them even like they seem to end upbeat sometimes but when you think about it later you're like huh that person was still lying (laughs) to that other person or you know not everything's been revealed Mm. um, or you can kind of see down the track that they still won't have any money and, you know, nothing good's going to happen. I think it's also 
from a lot of when you watch the fil- his films from like the 40s, 50s, 60s, they're quite different than a lot of the other things you come across from that time and they seem ahead of their time as well. Yeah. A lot of them, some of them don't, but a lot of them seem still now very fresh, mm. you know. Yeah. What when you when you chose him it it became clear to me looking at his filmography that he's somebody who switches styles effortlessly. I mean, yeah. there aren't a lot of guys like who Michael Curtiz and maybe one or two others of, mm. the, of that period yeah. who would jump between comedy and drama and film noir and so on. And, yep. you know, uh, and it occurred to me that, you know, you asked me who directed Double Indemnity, uh, Wilder, yeah. who directed uh, Seven Year Itch, Wilder, Some Like It Hot, you know, and Star Like 17. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. if you ask me yeah. what are the films that Billy Wilder directed, there's no way I can remember all of the jump across the genres. Mm. Yeah. So did you respond, you, you got into him through the Munro comedies. Do, do you yeah. respond to his darker films just as much? Or? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, sometimes I think you watch certain things at a certain age and they appeal to you. But I've been slowly watching his films like, over the years and mm. and it's just yeah I don't know there's always something about them it's an intelligence I guess that mm. I just you know realize that they're just so much better than films of the era and a lot of films now mm. and um, they they remain excellent though having said that and I'm sure we'll go into like the different films when I rewatched the seven year itch I was like this is kind of crap <laughs> oh wow <laughs> Yeah, well, it's dated. It's dated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Compared to a lot of it the other ones. Has, yeah. Yeah. I, I think and the, it annoyed me. I think <laughs> there might be another connection with you too because you are you you uh, blog under the guise literary minded. Yep. You're very he's much He's a writer as well. He's yes. absolute but yep. his scripts are uh, his films all have absolute reverence for the writing. Absolutely, Most yeah. of his films seem to be based on plays or novels and yep. his visual style is actually uh, with with only a couple of exceptions, like like some of the early stuff, like Lost Weekend and Double Indemnity, his films are mostly fairly unfussily shot. Definitely, like yeah. He, tr- he 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 actually made it a thing to get out of the way of the camera and yep. really, particularly sort of from the the nineteen fifties onwards. Well, just jumping to the end of his filmography very briefly, he was asked his very final film, which was a bit of a flop. He was asked what went wrong, and his response was, Wilder the writer let Wilder the director down, mm. which is very telling that he sees himself in those two distinct yeah. modes. He did, and he always was like, story was what was important to him. Mm. Um, and at the start, you know, he was a screenwriter before he was a director, yeah. and it was actually very rare for screenwriters in Hollywood in the 40s, 30s, 40s, anyway, when he started mm. out, to become directors but he felt like he didn't have enough control over the story because he'd write these screenplays and then a lot would get changed by the director and mm. you know at, well, in the process of a film but when he had when he could write it or co-write it and then direct it as well he could hold on to what it was going to be you know do, do you think it helped that transition that he'd already made it yeah before he came to Hollywood because he'd um he as you say he started as a writer but in 1934, he made Bad Seed, about a you know, guy falling in with car, car robbers and falls for his friend's sister. In Paris, he made that, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's got some great car chasing. You don't think of him as an action director, <laughs> but you know, he, he basically invented the action thriller three decades before it would take yeah, off. It's, it's a cute little film. It's, and, and as you say, the, the action scenes are surprisingly adept. Mm. But that was, uh, that was 34, 1934. Yep. Now, mm. he was uh, it was a Jewish Pole living in Berlin, mm. yes. I believe. Uh, he grew up in Vienna. 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 He grew up yeah. in Vienna, and then, yeah, he moved to Berlin in the Weimar era, so, yeah. which was a very big influence on him. 
because he was of this sort of movement called Verism, which was which would sort of hold a mirror up to the the kind of grotesqueries of mm. what was going on. Mm. And that kind of, then when he went to America, you know, and you yeah. can see in his films how he had such an eye for capitalism and wealth and, and people. I, I read a quote um, that was something like, all of his movies are about prostitution <laughs> um, in some way. Like there's always a, a character, not always, but I think a lot of the time a character who's prostituting themselves in some way right. because they think they have to. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of stuck. Also, it surprised me from Bad Seed on, like so many of his films have to have a protagonist who's struggling financially. Mm. Yeah. And mm. in some kind of poverty or have fallen from grace and so and need to try and get it back or... Or they're just... Or they're just they're not necessarily poor, but they're on a level that they have to stay at or they want to get just one up on that sort of yes. thing. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of a struggle. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're always aspirational. Yeah, they're but aspirational. It's always yeah. It always has to do with money. That's yeah. the yeah. thing I find interesting. Yeah. yeah. That it, it always had to do, and as you say, like pointing that out, that eye for the capitalist system, it's exactly what it is. Mm. But his, his first Hollywood film as director was 1942's The Major and the Minor. Yes. A <laughs> film built around uh, a fairly terrific pun. I had to say that title. <laughs> uh, but yeah, screwball comedy with Ginger Rogers pretending to be a little girl, and it's <laughs> yes, very, very funny. Like I, I loved yeah. it. Deeply, deeply weird. It's quite weird now it's when so you watch strange. it. You think you think a movie like that would not get made now oh, in a never. you know the fear of pedophiles not sort yeah. of thing. A million years would because, that get greenlit today? Yeah, uh, I think like, they get away with it though because it's more her folly for him, and he doesn't yes. really do it until he realizes that she's a. But an then adult. there's the other layer of her. But he does. Dating the boys on campus as well, like all the yeah. boys lining yes. up to oh date my God, her yeah. as well. Yeah, like there's it's, all these really icky, but layers. it's edgy stuff. But it's I'm, a hell of a lot of fun, and yeah. it does, as you say, you said edgy. Yeah, it, it starts this theme with Wilder of introducing really edgy concepts, mm. and also the um, dress ups yeah. in, from that film onwards. Yeah, dress ups <laughs> and mistaken identities. Yeah. Like, yeah, that is like in pretty much every film. It's you know. Amazing how much he loved that. I'm fascinated by that. You know, it's it's also interesting that for a guy who made so many of the you know objectively uh, the widely acknowledged greatest films of all time, mm. that some of his lesser known films I think are just as worthy of that title. Yep. I think Five Graves to Cairo, his World mm. War Two film in '43. Yeah. Why I I don't understand why this doesn't get talked about more. This is such a Brilliant, brilliant film. One of the one of the best World War Two films of the period I've ever wow. seen. Um, basically about a British soldier who finds his way to an Egyptian hotel as the Germans arrive, and then has to pose as a waiter, and then discovers an that the waiter, Alsatian waiter, an Alsatian waiter, <laughs> and then discovers that the waiter he's posing at was a German, German spy. spy. It's yeah. just, and then it, it keeps going like that. It's yeah. a mistaken just identity. Yeah. He, but he yeah. likes the multiple multiple levels of mistaken identity yeah. as well. Yeah. And then he. You know, he goes to Double Indemnity, one of the greatest film noirs of all Just time. amazing. Villains yeah. as protagonists. I mean, this is dark stuff. Yeah. Mm. All of our main characters bad guys. It's great. And apparently, I didn't realise this, but apparently the whole, you know, the look of the Venetian shadow that's yeah. so, Venetian blind shadow that's so identifiable with noir, yeah. originated in Double Indemnity. Which, okay. well, it came from the, that's one of the sort of looks inspired by German Expressionism. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but... Yeah, wow, I didn't know that. So that was like the first Hollywood... Yeah. Well, it was an early noir, so yeah, yeah. that doesn't surprise and that's, me. And yeah. so many of those things start with him. The, the amount of, of things you identify in these films and then realise he was the first person to do it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that German expressionism thing is a good point. I've never really made that connection mm. before. I mean, double indemnity. It's, it's... 
I don't know how much we need to dwell on it. It's yeah, basically... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Just the, the lines, you know, and it was him and Ray Chandler writing the screenplay, which is just, like, enough to tell you that it's just going to be Who couldn't awesome. stand each other. They couldn't. They couldn't, yeah. yeah. Because Chan- apparently Wilder was a bit overbearing, treating Ray Chandler like an inferior kind of... Like a higher <laughs> Which Ray Chandler wouldn't have liked. Well, he, only <laughs> ever, he but... really only ever found one writer who could stand to work with him for more than one film, and that's... Uh, his, his... IAL Diamond. Oh, there yeah. are two. Diamond. No, there's another guy yeah, from early in, in the, in the, Sorry, in the yeah. 40s and 50s. Yeah. That's right. And, and they then... deserve a lot of credit because they were they, they did some great work on his films as co-writers. Yeah. Uh, especially Diamond, who just stuck with him through most of his career. Yeah, really definitely. good stuff. Yeah. So in 1945, he did uh, post-production on the English language version, uh, a film called uh, Death Mills, which is basically a... A documentary about showing people how bad the Holocaust well, was. Well, in particular, it was a short film made by the by the American government mm. to show the Germans. That's right. What the Nazis had been doing under their noses. Yep. Yeah. For all of these years, and it's basically just straight up death camp footage of um, post liberation. More shocking to me than than Renee's Night and Fog. Like it. There's some horrific stuff in yeah. there. Yeah. And and but think of Wilder working on this. His a lot of his family yeah. were killed in. Auschwitz. Mm. I mean, the films he was making around this time were very dark as well. But then he goes Lost the Weekend. opposite. Yeah, Lost Weekend is you know a yeah. hugely pessimistic kind of film. But um, also the first film, I believe, my research on this has not been completely exhausted, but, uh, exhaustive. But I'm led to believe the first Hollywood film to seriously deal with alcoholism. Like this that, actually yeah. refers to it as a disease. Yeah, which is he interesting. has the um the hallucinations yes. and things like that. Which some um, of which are pretty creepy. Like yeah. when the things oh, on his wall start turning into bats and yeah. you can't believe this is the nineteen forties. Yeah. yeah. Doing this stuff. It's it's really difficult. It pulls no punches. And it still definitely still stands up now. Yeah. Like Oh without doubt. Yeah. Mm. And um, his his character's quite you know, he's he's harsh and he's manipulative and he's completely Yeah. But also, you know, poor and broken. He followed that up with it with a sort of studio job that he was he yep. was put onto the Emperor Waltz, uh Bing yeah, Crosby musical. Yeah. It's uh it's totally up my alley. It's exactly my type of film. <laughs> yeah. He's not too wild about it. And wild wild. Not too wild. wild. There we right. go. It had to happen. <laughs> um, but look, it's and it's not his best, but it's uh, it's a charming film, and it's uh, I, I think it's better than he thought it was. Yeah. But that same year, he made Foreign Affair uh, in 1948, which is a very odd film tonally. Did you guys see? I it? didn't. I didn't know. It's um. It's sort of uh, there's a lot of romance and comedy uh, in a film that basically seems interested in examining post-war Berlin and mm. the real lives of you know citizens and, and soldiers. Um, it, it jumps around a lot, and it's interesting that Wilder would make this, given you know he after Death Mills he clearly knew how bad the Holo- Holocaust mm. was. But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's a curio. But 1950s Sunset Boulevard oh, again, yeah. uh, one of the greatest, one of, the films, greatest films of all time. This yeah. is yeah. this is my number one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, this is my favorite. I've always thought, and and every time I watch it, I've, I'm always reminded how much it feels like a vampire movie. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's literally a well, vampire. Well, that crumbling this. gothic kind of mansion, you know, and uh, and her just literally feeding off his energy. Absolutely, yeah. keeping him around to feed off his energy. Yeah, until he he changes, he converts yes. into into something else. And a lot of Wilder's characters do this as well, where they start off quite innocent and quite morally kind of upstanding and whatever. And then 
yes, something happens that they start to change and, you know. And what what is his biggest fear, do you think, between Lost Weekend and this? It's failing writers. It's pathetic yeah. that he can't write anymore. Clearly pl- kicking around in his head. Yeah, but I love about this film dealing with the... The silent era. What happened to all those actors that were big in the silent era? That the ghosts. I now, love that line. Know. I'm still big. It's the pictures that got the small. small. Yeah. One of the greatest melodramatic performances of all time. It's wonderful, and because she's and because she's playing kind of a creature, it's like it totally. She totally sells it. But the casting is also really smart. Yeah. yeah. Because you've got Gloria Swanson, who was a top silent star whose yep. career had gone into obscurity, and Eric von Stroheim, who was one of the top directors of the silent era, yep. whose career had gone. To obscurity and hires him to play her mate, uh, her uh, butler. That's yeah. just and, so and if you think cleverly that Meta, done. If you think that Meta was invented recently, von Stromheim is playing a butler standing there watching as they play a film that von Stromheim actually directed. Oh wow! With glorious well, once. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's that's mind-bending stuff. Well, yeah. was it was it Queen Kelly? Because that's the one that apparently working with her on it. It was like what what brought his kind of downfall in oh, Hollywood. Really? That's the story. Wow. So that was like wow. you know, Awkward. that's sitting there behind <laughs> everything as well. But but Wilder knew that. That's part of the genius of it. You and know? he and he finds a pretty good avatar for his cynicism in William Holden too. Oh, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's it's funny. Like his dialogue is funny. Like it was um, a bit uh, at the start where he's like, then I talked to a couple of yes men at Metro. To me, they said no. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so like little lines like that yeah. that are just a crack up. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. full of brilliant asides like yeah. that. Like it's it's very modern in a lot of ways in terms of its yeah. writing, and it, but it's also that best of golden age, snappy, dripping with arsenic. And it yeah. kicks off such so a streak, good. such an amazing streak that no yeah. that few filmmakers have ever seen. Uh, 1951's Ace in the Hole. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, came yeah. next. Which was a flop at the time. It was ahead of its was. time. Ahead of its time. Too far. Yeah. To be honest, I can see how. Like yeah, yeah. it's it's got a fairly unlikable protagonist. It deals in some pretty confronting concepts, I guess, for the time. Yeah, it would have been confronting. Yeah. But we talk we talk about the fact that he loves pushing boundaries, and that's a, a hallmark of his films. And I think one of the things he benefited from most was the strict Hayes code. Everyone had to talk in metaphor. Yeah. And it was great that he had these pressures on him because when he pushed back, that was when he what, – what, what the line thank you means when Leo's wife says it and, and all the – basically every line of dialogue in here, which is so veiled. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just so cynical and so modern and, yeah. as we were saying, to, you know, ahead of its time. And another, and another ultimately failed writer of sorts. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, and I love how the carnival just spills out of control mm. to almost surreal proportions. Mm. Yeah. And then we think of Beaconsfield a few years ago mm. with, yeah. you know, all these stories about journalists being mad at other journalists jockeying for position and who got a private portaloo and who didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's fucking ace in the hole. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. And then 1953's Stalag 17. Yeah. which The which... great... I know, and I hadn't seen this before, so I just watched it recently, and I was just like blown away by it. And yeah, it's it's comedic, and clearly the inspiration for Hogan's Heroes down oh, to the yeah. down to the avuncular Schultz. But, uh, well, there's a lot of like burlesque kind of stuff going on with the the dressing up and the. Um, yeah. Prisoners like dancing with each other and with wigs yeah. on. Yeah, um, just the little reta- jokes that they play, and I don't know. Well, it retains really... the grimness, though. It's not pretending it, it was all fun and games. Mm. 
Uh, people die, people betray one another, they get depressed. It's really funny but really serious It's uh, and just superb. And and the main character is is a sort of, yeah, opportunistic kind of conniving scumbag that yeah. you just love. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and William <laughs> Holden like, again, just yeah. being brilliant and won an Oscar for this as well. Yeah. He's one of 14, I believe, Oscar, I don't know if it's Oscar nominated or Oscar winning performances that Wilder directed. It's a bit of a slow burn, but um, but by half, the halfway point, you're really into its, into its groove. Mm. It's great. Yeah, it's weird seeing how he makes the Germans like big fat children. Yeah. <laughs> really like, well. <laughs> he was working through some issues there. I yeah, I think so. <laughs> and then uh, 1954, Sabrina Fair. Yes. Uh, brilliant romantic comedy and a great spin on... Sabrina on, on Fair? That, that's its official title. Really? Not, I thought that was the title of the play, not the movie. Uh, it's it's up there on the s- screen, I think, or, or on oh, the poster okay. or something. Yeah, it's it's the official title. But um, yeah, the Cinderella story. It's and it's wild, a sort of being a bit Capra esque, I think. But it's still dark. Like at the very beginning, she's try she tries to kill herself, like in the garage. Yeah. You know, there's it's still true. like yeah. there's some really. He loves his darkness. Yeah, he does. And by the way, you know when we did uh, Alexander Payne, we noticed that there was a sign for Sideways and About Schmidt. Yeah, <laughs> I love how in this Bogart orders tickets to the Seven Year Itch. I know. Ah. Yeah, yeah, to the play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which was of course his next film in in '55. Yep. Now, Seven Year Itch was a film that didn't really work for me until I realised that Marilyn Monroe is completely in his head. Yeah. And once I got around that concept, I... Right. It, the entire I haven't thought of it like that, but yes, that's probably exactly what's The entire on. film just transformed for me, and suddenly I really dug it. Yeah. Because at first I thought, oh, geez, this is... And because, because he's very imaginative, as he tells <laughs> that's us. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah he's, and it's constantly about how imaginative he is. Yes. And all of these ridiculous situations he makes repression. up. He's reading a manuscript about psychology of the modern male. Yeah. And then this perfect ideal comes out. And, and Who's while, in one of his uh, picture books. Yes, that's yeah, exactly. That's where she came from. And so, because Wilder is all he's he's always written rather good roles for women over the years. Yeah, and it seemed really weird and backward. Like, why is she such a sex object and all this? She's so compliant. Yeah, until it's like it all fell into place. It's like, oh well, of course that's his his imagination. And yeah, after that, I I I thought it was really really lovely. It was really well done. Yeah, it's it's not it's definitely not one of my favourite of his films, even though it's one of the first ones I saw. But but Marilyn is like luminous. Mm, she in it. is. It's mm. just like yes, she doesn't get to play. Well, she often didn't get to play anyone very smart, even though she did want to. Yeah. But talking of uh, of, of that section of Wilder's filmography that should be considered a classic but isn't, um, The Spirit of Saint Louis, a complete flop when it was I released. I haven't seen that. Nor have I. It is amazing. It is just, it, it's really, because it's the story of uh, Lindbergh. Mm-hmm. The first half of the film is basically a procedural about, you know, getting the band together and then making the perfect plane. Yep. And mm. it's so mercurial in that. And then shifts focus. And the second half of the film is just in the plane with Lindbergh. No one else. Right. Just wow. him by himself. It's, it's mesmerising and one of Jimmy Stewart's best performances. It's, uh, and I, mm. I, I really think this is due for a comeback, this film. But then we get to 1957's Love in the Afternoon. Yeah. Not my favourite of his films. Okay. It's Gary Cooper and Audrey Hepburn again, isn't it? Yeah. I say again for her, not for him. Yeah. Yeah, and Marie Chevalier is in it. And 
it's kind of it's a romantic comedy in which you don't want the leads to get together. Basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mission accomplished. Yeah, that's that's not great. Yeah, Cooper stumbled into a few miscasts, and this was definitely one of them. But then, Fifty Sevens Witness for the Prosecution, the great adaptation of the Agatha Christie uh, uh, courtroom drama, like one of the first proper courtroom uh, dramas. And, uh, you know, Tyrone Power and Charles Lawton and uh, Marlene Dietrich. And the uh, bride of Frankenstein, Elsa Lanchester. Yes, of course. Who was uh, nominated for this. I have to say, mm. this is not one of my favourites. Really? I, I thought performances aside, I really loved the performances. I just felt it was so... And it, and it began to make me realise how many of his films are based on stage plays and how, mm. and this will come up particularly later on as well, that how, ma- how many feel a bit like stage plays and this really just felt kind of bound um, and not particularly interesting. I think it's got a good ending and I think, I think it def- the, the last half hour definitely picks up a bit of steam but, okay. yeah, I was a bit underwhelmed by this. Fair enough. Well, you can't be underwhelmed by his next two. No. Some, some Like It Hot in 1959, <laughs> The Apartment Amazing. in 1960. Uh, There's a one-two punch just for you. like yeah. two of the best films ever. And uh, obviously Some Like It Hot is one of the best comedies of all yeah. time. I mean, <laughs> but the ending is so subversive and, you know, yes. famously so. Yeah. Right. Um, that great but, final line, if you haven't seen this film, you need to go and watch it. Yeah, we won't and give it away. But That oh last God. line it is It'll still just, just, yeah. And the echo of the music after that. As well. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, brilliant. And and I it's just subversive lo- even I'd, today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this this film when I first saw it, um, actually I loved Jack Lemmon as a kid because of um, what were the films he did with Walter Matthau again? The Odd Couple and yeah, and oh, Grumpy Old Men. Grumpy oh, Old oh, Men. That's what right, you watch right. when you're a kid, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, and out to sea. Then you know, <laughs> seeing Jack Lemmon in all these Billy Wilder films. Yeah, yeah. From, and that from was his here first, on. wasn't it? It was. Yeah, first team up. Mm. And. It's just, I just love him. He's just amazing. He's, well, he's amazing in both of these films. Like this was. He makes such a, a funny, funny-looking woman. It just works <laughs> yeah, so yeah, well, yes. you know. Just, I'm Daphne. <laughs> but how great is Tony Curtis? His voice. Yeah. He sounds yeah. like Lauren Bacall. If yes. you close yeah, your eyes he when he speaks, yeah. he sounds like Lauren Bacall. And then he does a pitch-perfect Cary Grant yes. impression yes. Yes. as well. Nobody uh, talks like that. <laughs> <laughs> like this is such a revelation for Curtis. That yeah. film, like I think, yeah. it, I think Curtis did enough bad films in the second half of his career that a lot of people forget that he had serious game, and some like it hot reminds you of that. But apparently, mm. after this film, Billy Wilder said he was too old and too rich to ever work with Marilyn Monroe again. Oh yeah, sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, by that stage, she was on a lot of drugs. But she's fantastic in it. She yeah, is, she's and great. And but vulnerable. Yeah, this- but it suits the character, her mm. vulnerability, very much. Yeah. And, and also has one of these weird plots where it's all about them getting away from the gangsters. Mm. And yeah. the gangsters completely disappear from the film. Yeah. For ages. For ages. Yeah. For like an hour and 15 minutes. Well, there are just all these shenanigans going on. Yeah, with, the, with them <laughs> pretending to be women and all of yeah. a sudden the gangsters come out. And, you've, and the cool thing is it's like along with the characters, you've kind of forgotten about them. Yeah. Mm. And, and the characters are in the same boat because when the gangsters turn up, they're like, Oh shit! Okay, well, this is this is what we're doing. This is why we're dressed up as women on this thing, yeah. and and My it's quite yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's 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 a really interesting approach, but it totally worked. Yeah, and the then apartment is gorgeous. The oh. apartment just gets better every time you see it, and really beautiful film. Those two characters are so heartbreakingly mm. sad. Yes, and Lemon and McLean just pitch it. 
perfectly. Yeah. 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 It's just, and it's always like Lemon's so damn likable and so damn willing to please. He's so perfect for that kind just of you character, you know, that's being downtrodden. Um, you know, like these bosses just keep mm. wanting the key to his apartment, and because he like knows he won't get anywhere in his job unless he does this, which mm. is kind of horrible. You like he can't just work hard, and that's yeah. why it's very cynical as well. It's just like he knows he has to give this key. And just, yeah, the way that he can't talk back and he's just so good at those characters, you know. I, I, I. And it's a romantic <laughs> comedy that no one is, almost no one is ballsy enough to make anymore where it's, yeah. it keeps dragging you down so that, yeah. you know, there's going to be a happy ending of sorts. But this one actually makes you tear up with, oh, like, yeah. every time because it's a romantic comedy in which he keeps punishing the characters over yeah, and yeah, over yeah. again. And the ending is, is, like, deeply romantic but also... Mm sad because they don't really have anything and that's what makes it kind of romantic mm. as well at the end all they've got kind of is each other I haven't just yeah which away, is but... a deeply romantic yeah. notion in itself yeah you know, that yeah I think it was very forward-thinking and speaking up at the time about the social mores of the time too about it was just an accepted fact that men had affairs with mm. women and this mm. was kind of you know there's is there's this network built to encourage that and to facilitate that and yep. that you know that system was wrong and needed yep. to be broken down. Richard Yates's short stories, who wrote Revolutionary mm. Road, um, well, his novels as well, but mm. his short stories also remind, like, The Apartment reminded me yeah. of them. If anyone loves this film, I think they would really love his stories, mm. yeah. The... It's interesting because when I, as, as a kid, when I saw his next film, 1961's One, Two, Three, it actually shocked me because it was the first film I'd ever seen in which somebody cheats and there are no real consequences for them. Mm. It was just an accepted part. They weren't punished for it. And it, I found that quite shocking. But this is, you know, Wilder working with Cagney in a film that spends 90 minutes setting up this majestic farce that just unravels in the last half hour. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's masterful stuff. It's, I, got this, I did get a little bit of the stage farce feeling from this. Mm. It did feel like a play. Cagney's great, although I just get the feeling like it. You, you can take the boy out of the gangster films, but you can't take the gangster films out of the boy. I just kept still feeling that he's a bit, you know, listen to this, see? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. snapping at people. And, yeah, I, I don't know if it all worked for me. And it, I think it took a long time to get me on side. Yeah. Um, for a while there, I was kind of battling through it. But as it, as it unravels more and more, it, it, it um, gets more entertaining. So I think it's, it's safe to say at this point that his best work is behind him, even though, yep. and that, that's not, like, I know that's kind of writing off the rest of his career, cause there are, but there are some great films in there. Uh, 1963's Irma La Douce is one of the weirdest films I've Very ever seen. Very weird. I like Lots of layers to the, yeah. um, to the confusing character. I, mm, identity know, things. And, yeah. I liked it a lot. Like, I liked to the it point he murders himself. It's <laughs> yeah. yes. I think it's about half an hour too long, but it's got yeah. this great, very European approach to prostitution, which I really mm. like. That's completely undemonizing and unjudgmental. But it's quite 60s in that way, too. Like, yeah. But you also couldn't have set the film in America. There's a reason they're all just in Paris, quote unquote, but talking yeah. English and American accents. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I like that. It's quite kind of. Yeah, I'm progressive in that way. I think that in the films of his that aren't hits or aren't classics still have the ingredients uh, to make a classic. You can see his thought process and, and the ideas that made films like Some Like It Hot and The Apartment so great. Mm. He still That process still exists in films like Kiss Me Stupid Avanti. and The Fortune Cocky. Yeah, Avanti. Yeah. 
he's still got the ingredients there, even if the films themselves don't quite work. Um, there are passion projects like The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. And Which is just so cute. It's just, <laughs> I yeah. like it just because of all the elements. It's got Sherlock Holmes, it's got the Loch Ness Monster, it's got, you know, um, Sherlock actually addressing the gay thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it breaks some... Again, breaks. How did you feel about it as a Sherlock Holmes obsessive? Uh, I I appreciated it. Okay, I, I liked what he did with the canon. I could tell that it was coming from a very personal Lee, place. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Lee is Mycroft. You got to love yeah. that. But yeah, in his his um his last few films, like there's Fedora, where in which he's trying to capture the magic of Sunset Boulevard. You know, William Holden again chasing an aging former star, held by an overbearing butler and a few stars playing themselves. You know, oh. it should work, but and, and it sort of does, but. It, doesn't quite hit the heights that he's going for. And his last film, Buddy Buddy, uh, in which he again... He was the first one to pair Matau and Lemon. Mm. Uh, he, in the fortune cookie, yeah. Yeah, he had them in three films together and, you know, isn't really credited with that pairing. Well, because none of them are really classics. Like, that's not the classics. thing. They're, they're all... They're the like, even the fortune cookie, somehow... Walter Matau's great in that movie, but somehow won an Academy Award for it, and that left me kind of baffled. Maybe it was because he was being evil, I don't know, oh, or yeah. being kind of... Like, there are things I liked about The Fortune Cookie, but it was a bit sort of unwieldy and a bit overlong. And, yeah, that's why I think maybe that, I guess, because the odd couple stole all the thunder, because that was the big hit. That was the, that was the big one. Whereas but, those three weren't so much. But he ends with Buddy Buddy in 1981. Uh, that was his, his last of a film. And it was Francis Viva, who we talked about in August 2011 on the show. He wrote a play called Le Contrat, made into a 1973 film, French film with Jacques Brel remade as this one, Buddy Buddy, in 1981, and then finally Viva got to make it as a pain in the ass in 2008. So it's had this weird history, but it, and it's a shame he sort of went out on that because even he felt it was, it was a failure and he kept wanting to make that last one so his legacy would be intact. But I think there's that, that feeling from him whereas, where he feels that his last film defines him. But when we look back at his films, we don't think of... No. Buddy Buddy when we think of Wilder we think no. of his great films we think of him as this guy who changed cinema he got, yeah. he's got this quite, great quote which I kind of wish I'd printed but I'm going to paraphrase it's like if I saw all of my old films at a party I would I would be jovial I'd embrace most of them I'd shake hands I don't know if I'd talk to Buddy Buddy <laughs> <laughs> right yep but one thing I think those later films suffer from is the fact that he no longer had the Hayes Code and he no longer had these boundaries to push against. And I think that when he sort of let loose and can do and say anything, that's when his films sort of suffer. I couldn't agree more. It's that it just feels uh, characters swear in the last few films and mm. talk about, and you know the, the, just the language in general is a bit more blue and it just feels out of character. Like it feels like yeah, it, it, and and it feels out of step as well. Like it it feels both. Out of character and uncool. Yeah. Um, where he was so much more adept at getting around that Hayes Code stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think it's one of the many things that kind of sell those later films out. I totally agree. I just want the one thing that I was wondering, you know, watching his films is why does he have this fascination with the inversions and the and the identities, mm. multiple identities and mm. I just, yeah, I, don't, I guess I haven't read enough about him and his personality. It could just be his, his yeah, yeah, that's the, just the things be. that appeal to him. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of farces of the, yeah, of the early 1900s were yeah. based around yeah. that sort of thing. Maybe so, even yeah. the Weimar era, like the, the, the sort of dress-ups and burlesque. And yes. He's got a very classical sense. Putting Ego on masks, yeah. Pushing boundaries, yeah, such yeah. a classical bend. 
Well, Ange, thank you so much for joining us. And thank talking you so much for having me. It's been excellent. Awesome. Thanks, Ange. And we'll see the rest of you next month. I'm going to go have a beer. <laughs> <laughs>